So we're having these two conversations with nonprofit clients all the time today. The first is concern around uncertainty from a policy level, whether it's local or national. Are we going to get this, you know, funding in the future and and what do we what do we do about this conundrum? And then the second is what we're pushing out to our clients and we're telling them is we're concerned about your portfolio because we're expecting to have to see lower returns across sort of traditional asset classes and your annual draw from your portfolio may not be what it was in the past. So what do you do? It begs this question about what are some other opportunities or avenues for driving in revenues to our organization? So this one idea that keeps coming up is social enterprises, developing businesses or for-profit entities to drive in a different type of revenue to the organization to support the mission. Today, we're speaking with a nonprofit professional who's building one of these social enterprises. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bernstein Insights. This is Inspired Investing, where we inform and educate organizations and individuals who strive to invest purposefully with and for a mission. I'm Claire Gola, head of Bernstein's Endowment and Foundation Advisory Services. Today, we're joined by Julian Posada, Chief Operating and Enterprise Officer of the Resurrection Project, a Chicago-based community organization. And in this role, he's also the architect and head of Lift Up Enterprises, which is what we're excited to hear about today. Julian, welcome. Great to be here, Claire. Thanks. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. So let's start. Let's just dive right in by understanding uh, a little bit more about the Resurrection Project, what it is you do there, and the genesis of LiftUp. Well, the Resurrection Project is a community-based development organization that's been around for 29 years, helping create wealthy communities through affordable housing, community wealth building, immigration services, and community organizing. And its foundation is really started from that community organizing perspective. And my my role in that is the COO is really handling all the back office and also thinking about strategy and how do you bring in deferred revenue or new revenue streams into the organization. And within that realm of being the COO, you have access to really looking at the entire organization and where you can find efficiencies. And from that genesis came LiftUp. And what LiftUp was is really a culmination of a lot of years of being between public and private. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the private sector and spent a lot of time in the public sector and a lot of boards and really thinking about structure and legal and theory of change and and how you're going to actually create something good about what you're doing. So LiftUp started from really looking at who are the people we're serving and what are the nonprofit services we're providing them and then where's the gaps and what we kept thinking of and we kept looking at as we're as we kept talking to human beings was there is a distinct problem of underemployment in the communities in which we serve. So we might be able to help someone with their citizenship but keeping a job and getting a decent wage and other people, other things started hindering their ability to purchase a home, which we still believe is a vehicle to create wealth. And so LiftUp is a holding company that's comprised of Do Right Services Company, which is a cleaning, landscaping, and painting company, and a realty company, so our mortgage you know, home purchase type of entity. And that HoldCo allows, as a for-profit, allows us to keep looking at building these companies as for-profits by helping stabilize business. So LiftUp kind of helps me create a, we're calling a vertically integrated economic development model. And what was the genesis of that? How did you come up with the idea to create this other for-profit entity? I, I think in a nutshell, it was about how can you leverage the best from the capital markets and also the best from the nonprofit? And how can you actually create long-term systemic change in human beings? And so... 
it was for me, I kept coming around and around to people who are, I'm a, philanth- I'm a philanthropist and I'm really tired of philanthropy. And, I, and then you kept talking to different people who said, there's got to be different ways in which we can solve the problem. And then from the nonprofit side, it's like this, you said it great in your intro, well, you know, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to get unrestricted capital and, and to, to iterate and to test. And so that combination came to me and said, okay, how do we do that? And then as an organization, we have our own property management company, right? So we we provide housing for 800 people. So when you look at, we're already kind of doing a little bit of earned revenue stream. So how can you take that to the next level? And so it was that kind of all encompassing, how do you take all those factors to say, okay, is there something here that can actually create change that is sustainable if it's given the right breathing room and structure to do so. And that's our experiment that's going pretty well. So I have to ask, because so many organizations talk about, let's create a social enterprise, let's create this you know, for-profit business. Tell me a little bit about who the key supports or the, the key people or elements were in making this work. That's a great question, Claire. So for, for me, I did take a slight pivot in how I created it by immersing myself with attorneys and financial professionals because my instinct was if I can make it fly through someone who's not looking at this through the social side of it, the probability that I can hopefully get someone on the social side to see the value would be easier. And so I spent a lot of time with attorneys in terms of structure, operating agreements, service level agreements, and then financial folks, private equity, venture capital folks, and just much stronger financial brains than myself to say, what would it take to be successful to have these companies to be successful? What do I need to believe in? What are the metrics? What are the industry standards? And so that gave me a a rubric and a framework to say, if I can do those things that the market demands to be successful, and then I can get the legal folks to say, hey, Julian, this is how you actually create it. And these are the pitfalls and the things you need to be concerned about, arm's length transactions and these kind of documents. Putting those two first allows me to then then I'm just operating, figuring out, I have now my guardrails, right? Both a financial guardrail and a legal guardrail. And then the last one is a board, right? So spending time with my board, an advisory board, just fitting through where, you know, we would do pre-mortems every 90 days. What's the holes? And that's allowed me to now be able to, okay, I have those pieces in place. Let me just now do the hard, the other hard work, which is running companies which in and of itself is difficult. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's also difficult to raise money for those companies, right? So are you out uh, seeking investments from investors? Yeah, we, we, you know, on the funding side, it's, it's a, it's an interesting hodgepodge, right? You have, because it's, because it's linked so closely to a nonprofit, you have foundations that are very interested in what you're doing because you're able to expand services to human beings in a different way, right? And then you have the for-profit, you have normal high net worth investors who are saying, hey, in my portfolio, you know, maybe what Julian's doing is not going to return market rates, but it's going to return something and I feel good about it. So, and then lastly, you have the government agency saying, wait, these guys are doing good work and they're being held accountable, right? And they're putting metrics in place with accountability, right? And so we're seeing funding or opportunities for funding from both private foundations, individuals, and as well as government um opportunities because it's a job creation and sustainability, right? We're not coming back to the well asking yeah. for more, right? We're pretty defined on we need this and then we should return money. 
And so how are how are foundations investing? Are they investing as program related investments or, you know, from from that other 95 percent of their portfolio that isn't a distribution? How, tell me a little bit. about. Yeah, that. it's it's both, uh, Claire. It's it's um, we are in conversations right now with, um, you know, very light and fluffy PRIs like we'll give you money at a low interest rate. I also have foundations who are very interested in specific parts of what we're doing. And because we're tied to a nonprofit, you know, they're giving us a grant. So one of the things we're trying to provide is a lot of training. And we know an issue that people have is getting to and from work, right? So if you're commuting three hours, you know, that and you're making $17 an hour, it's really hard for you to get to work. So could you raise grant money? Because we know transportation and mobility is an issue. Well, if I don't have to burden the for-profit with that because of the way we're structured and other pieces, then I can apply for specific grants that address social stuff through the nonprofit. But then you have foundations that are like, hey, what you just said, it's a PRI. And so, you know, we're looking at you as a little risky loan, but not as risky as some other stuff. So both sides, interestingly enough. And that's been a little challenging because you want to make sure that you're not, again, back to the legal, we're not mixing buckets of funding, right? And so there's a very, very clear line internally and externally about what goes where and what, and we spent a lot of time on that. So funders are very clear about where's the money flowing and back. And and that's, again, back to your first question, having a financial professional that's helping you really look at that and the flow of money and accounting and an attorney, it eases a lot of stress on any one of the people that are looking at investing in what you're doing. It takes a lot of time, a lot of time. Yeah. (laughs) And I should probably clarify for the audience, a PRI, program-related investment, is a way that foundations can make an investment. Oftentimes it's below market rate. They check in with their legal counsel, but it essentially is an investment that does count towards their 5% required distribution on an annual basis, but they're not actually making a grant, right? They, they could be making an investment in some way and often it's below market. So just wanted to make that clarification for the group. Sometimes we throw a lot of jargon around. So Julian, I want to switch gears a little bit. You were just asked to join the Economic Development Transition Committee for mayor-elect, Chicago mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot. So how did, so congratulations. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) It is. is. Uh, It's a very historic, historic time in Chicago. How do you see the future of public and private partnerships and social enterprise driving community development in Chicago? Um, Well, first it it was an honor and, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And so it's, it's, it is fun to be on the ground floor of your absolutely right, a very historic, not only who she is, but how she got there in terms of her platform. I think it starts with right now what Lori's vision is, is that she's looking at a Chicago that's really about equity, transparency, accountability, and inclusion, right? And when you look at those three factors, a lot of the stuff that we're looking at at the committee level is, well, how do you apply that lens to public-private partnerships? How do you look at anchor institutions, right? So, and we'll, I'll stick with that a little bit because that's where I'm spending a little bit of my time is public-private partnerships have to increase, but they have to increase in the right way. So I'm all for having more people at the table as long as there's accountability, right? So inclusion without accountability is dangerous, right? We're not, not everybody. And so I think that what you're going to see is, hey, we're going to do more of this, but don't expect to get it without doing something for it, right? And so I think at all levels, um, you see a mayor right now that is a mayor elect that is really open to bringing new voices on board. But I think that she's also saying there's plenty of carrots 
and let don't let me take out the sticks, right? And so for me, public-private partnerships, specifically around neighborhoods and around defining what is an anchor institution, you know, how do you get those to think differently about investments into neighborhoods or big projects or small projects or city council, I think are going to be pretty fundamental in how you see things moving. But it's a it's a big lift. It's going to be a big lift for, for mayor-elect. It's exciting. It's exciting, it is. though. So it is. More to come. I'm excited to hear more about it. Uh, so if you could provide, Julian, any advice to nonprofits that are considering launching a social enterprise, what would maybe, say, the top two or three pieces of advice be? I created a kind of a rubric, or I've been looking at a rubric on how we've been doing it, and, and there's really three areas that I think you need to have conversations around, right? One is, what is the potential distraction, right? You know, and so if you look at me, when I first came in, it was that we had to be very clear with the staff about my role as COO, and he's going to be spending time working on crazy ideas like social enterprises, right? And so mitigating or having conversations about the potential distraction of what this would mean to the services you're providing, right? So it is crystal clear that you have to spend the time on delivering the service that you've been funded for as a 501c3 to do. So just going and launching stuff without everyone having eyes wide open is important. So the one is really thinking of the potential distraction and having an honest conversation, right? The second one is, what is the real requirement of funding? I mean, you know, nine out of 10 or, you know, eight out of 10 startups fail, right? So let's, let's yeah. be clear on, you know, this is not a short term quick fix, right? So again, going back to the financial advisors and the, the attorneys, you know, we day one said, this is a five year endeavor. This is not, you're going to return money tomorrow. And so if you're not, if you're not set up mentally to have that appetite and how much funding is required and how is it going to, so the funding requirements and the horizon, right? So, you know, everyone's an optimist, but you know, the reality of, Hey, I know you think you're good, but no company has ever been break even in non-tech in less than six months. You, you need to have that reality check of what you're doing, right? So the second one is what is the, requirement of funding for it to truly be sustainable. And then I think the last one is really, is it within your core competency, right? So if you look at what we're doing, right, you know, we've been doing janitorial cleaning and painting because we own units, right? And so if it's really slowing down to saying, are what is what you're thinking, can you mitigate that risk because you have done it sometime, right? So I constantly talk to people like, oh, well, we're going to start a cafe, have you ever looked at the financials of opening a coffee shop? <laughs> Do you understand what that means? And and so that's that one piece where I want people to dream, but with reality. And usually when you have the conversation about potential distraction first, and then what is that horizon in funding, those two things usually temper some of that enthusiasm, but that's where the work needs to happen. That's where you're going to have areas of debate to think, can you do it or not, right? And if you have that with strong advisors and the accounting or the legal and the funding side, you have the recipe for what I think, and you brought up at the very beginning, is a platform of dialogue around social enterprise and earned income streams. And that has to accelerate in today's day and age. I cannot stress enough that if you're not thinking about what can you do four years from now, five years? And it's very hard. It's going to be tough because I think that there you are going to have more constraint in funding. I think you're going to have more foundations thinking differently. And then you're going to have high net worth individuals thinking, well, hey, I don't want to just keep giving money into a black hole. 
So tell me how you're going to, you're going to do this in a different way. And that forces partnerships. The last thing I'll say is that be careful on the partnerships and some of these other things, because if you, you know, the genesis for this was, I want to own the supply chain. I want to have a vertically integrated economic development model. And that's different. Like I'm basically saying, I want to control the whole thing. And then maybe later I can bring in other people. Right. And that's my approach because of my experience of what I think is successful. Other people might think it differently. But for me, I've just seen too much. Let's all work together and then nothing gets done. No, it's 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 complicated. Right. And this has been an enormous, uh, you know, an enormously educational conversation. I'm so excited to have our listeners uh, check this out because I feel like, you know, people both from the funding side and from the organizational side will, will get a lot out of this. So. It's just been great. Julian, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. No, my pleasure, Claire. I appreciate it being on the on the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, we'd like to hear from you. So please email us with your thoughts, questions, and feedback to insights at Bernstein.com. And be sure to find us on Twitter at BernsteinPWM. Thanks, everyone. Bernstein, making money meaningful for individuals, families, and foundations for over 50 years. Visit us at Bernstein.com.